You know what fire means, but do you know what fat fire means? If you don't, you're missing out. Check out this episode with our guest who's on fire to get up to speed. Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights, just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Newman, and welcome back to the show. This week, I have on Physician on Fire, someone who really needs no introduction to discuss fat fire and frankly, what you should know about it to keep your eyes focused on your future. We run through what regular fire is, which by the way is financial independence, retire early with the first two letters, I think being more important, but they allow the really the last two letters to be possible if you choose. This is essentially the state of being able to afford the lifestyle you want without having to work for money. Imagine that. This is where the different flavors of fire come into play, including fat fire. This show is sponsored by Physician Wealth Services, my fee-only financial planning firm. After witnessing how vulnerable our physician friends were during my wife's residency and fellowship, I set out to start my own fee-only financial planning practice to help physicians who could truly benefit from unbiased quality financial advice. Our team now helps physicians all across the country create a life they love using the resources they have to help them feel in control of their money the same way that you make a patient feel better about their health. If you're looking for a fiduciary that truly understands the life of a physician family, I encourage you to reach out directly at physicianwealthservices.com. Thank you for tuning in. Let's jump right in and talk with Physician on Fire. Enjoy the show. Leaf, so excited to have you back on the show. Thank you again for being here. Happy to be joining you this evening, Ryan. Thanks for the invite. Of course, of course. So I think if I had Physician on Fire on the show, we've got to talk about fire. So I'd like to kind of jump in. We don't normally talk about it on the show that much. So I think this will be fun. Let's talk yeah. about fire and then let's talk about what you primarily discuss is fat fire. Let's break down the two. Uh, yes. Well, you start with some kindling and then you got to pile that up and then you start kind of building logs in a, a kind of a triangular formation pyramidal, I think is the term. Okay. You know, um, we got we're some Minnesota jokes going. Other fire, <laughs> the acronym, I believe, which is financial independence, retire early. The first two letters, I think, being more important, but they allow the last two letters to be possible, to allow an early retirement. It's something I discovered uh, about four years ago, started writing about online three years ago. And essentially, it is a state of being in your financial picture where you can afford to live the lifestyle that you want without having to work for money. So you've got money invested that will support you indefinitely based on the current lifestyle you're living. And that's where the different flavors of fire come into play. So the standard kind of fire, I guess I would call a middle class sort of uh, lifestyle existence. Maybe you're spending forty, fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 a year, like the average American household, which I believe it's in the 50s these days. And that requires about 25 times or maybe 30 times if you want to be conservative, your annual spending saved up in your investment accounts that you'll be living from in retirement. 
You can also do it with passive income, and that's a bit of a tough one to define because there are various kind of levels of passivity. Some are not so passive, you know, when you start looking at real estate landlording and, and those sorts of things. Rent a blog's pretty yeah. passive, right, bud? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's a podcast, right? Oh, yeah, totally. It happens. The money just shows up on the mailbox regardless. What, no. what money in a podcast? I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You told me. Yeah, so as long as you've got nest egg or the uh, cash flow to support the lifestyle you're living, you can claim financial independence and therefore you can afford to retire early if that's what you choose to do. And I touched on regular fire. There's also lean fire, which is a fairly bare bones kind of a budget. And so the opposite of lean fire became fat fire. And that's what I see as a an above average budget while being financially independent. And I think that's what most physicians will be most interested in. Yeah. So a couple of things you mentioned was 25 or 30% of your annual spending is what you should have as a nest egg. So we're referring to like the 3% or the 4%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned, you mentioned percent a minute ago with 25 or 30. It's 25 or 30 times, times the multiple. Me. No, that's good uh, to clarify. Percent, sure. Is, yeah. So if you have... 25x, 25 times your annual spending of $80,000, that's $2 million. And you take 4% of that, then you're spending $80,000 a year. So it's just the multiple is just 100 divided by your withdrawal rate. Yep. 30 times you're at about, let's see, three point, well, 3.333% withdrawal rate. And I believe a 3.5% withdrawal rate is something like 28 times. And there are some really good academic papers that... Mm-hmm looked at Monte Carlo simulations of past returns, also actual past returns, and basically looked at retiring at the worst points you could come up with looking at the historical record of the performance of stocks and bonds in the United States and how low you can go without failing more than a couple, 3% of uh, scenarios. And so 25x gets you about a 97% chance of your money lasting 30 years or more based on those studies. Of course, the future could look different than the worst times in the past. You know, that's one of those standard disclaimers. Yeah, it's good. So don't worry, we're going to have disclaimers in on the show because it's not investment advice or, or anything like that. But right. we, we chatted last time you were on the show on like sequence of returns. And so this Monte Carlo simulation, like where you're talking, they run like a thousand scenarios and, and it, we're looking at what is the worst sequence of returns you could possibly have when you decide, hey, today I'm quitting my job and I'm going to retire. And that's what you're, you're referencing. I just want to kind of clarify. Right. Because you know, people think, oh, gosh, well, what if things aren't as good as they were in the past? Well, you're kind of looking at the worst case scenarios and basing it off that. So if the first five to 10 years of retirement give you even below average returns, but not way below average, you're going to be in really good shape. And if they give you average or above average returns, you, know, you, you could probably up that uh, spending rate actually above 4% if you chose to. Yeah. And I, I like looking at it as you said, hey, this should last 30 years. Now, if we're looking at the RE part of FIRE and retiring early, I look at it as like life expectancy should be about 90. That's what I'll use with yep. planning and scenarios. But if you're retiring sure. at 40, you've got 50 years yep. now of that. Right. So I know like you've blogged a ton about it. I'm curious what your thoughts are on, hey, you've got 50 years. Do you want to trust the 4%? Do you want to look and maybe uh, let's instead of doing that 25x, maybe go towards that 30x? 
I've, I've overshot, you know, my 25x number by a decent margin. And that's one reason you don't know how long it's going to uh, be that you're not making an income. Uh, and also, I, I will point out, though, that the uh, median result in those different simulations or actual historical uh, records of 30 year periods is to end up with 2.7 or 2.8 times as much money as you started with. Mm-hmm. Now, after accounting for inflation, it ends up being about the same amount of money. But that's kind of what you can get expect on average. And so if you still have the same amount of money that you started with, you know, inflation adjusted or almost three times as much not adjusted, you've got a new 30 year, you know, it's like hitting reset on the stopwatch. So I do think it is wise if you are going to have a longer than average retirement or you know, hope to have a longer than average retirement. And as physicians, it doesn't take too much longer to accumulate a few more years worth of spending. And it's probably worth working one more year, three more years to give yourself that cushion. And one thing is like, maybe you could always go back if you end up seeing a horrible sequence of returns. Say you do it this year in the next five years, we just have a horrible, horrible depression. I mean, maybe you yeah, go back, do right. some locums work. I know we've chatted about that on the show. And so I want to ask you, how can physicians think maybe should they think differently about their spending if it's fire versus fat fire or just the concept of retiring early? Right. Yeah. So fat fire, I just loosely defined earlier as above average spending. And I know that most physicians have actually most physicians have way above average spending. And if you want to achieve financial independence, probably want to spend less than the average physician. But that being said, you know, our family budget, and I I started tracking after I started blogging kind of for two reasons. One, I wanted to be able to prove to myself and my readers that I was truly financially independent. And also just to be able to pinpoint exactly where the money was going, because I I honestly didn't know. I knew what the credit card bills were each month, five, six thousand a month, something like that. And uh, so when I started tracking, it worked out right to about 60 to 65,000, 70,000 a year was how much we were spending. Now, that obviously doesn't include taxes, doesn't include a mortgage because we've paid for our last home with cash and our cabin we paid for with, well, bought it at auction for cash. But anyway, you know, once I figured out, okay, we spend 60 to 70,000 a year, but that doesn't account for replacing a vehicle, which we just did. So this year we're spending close to 100. So that's maybe 5,000 a year, kind of slush fund for that. If we pay for our own health care, now that's another 20000 or more per year. And we're pushing six figures, you know. And again, that's with paid off homes. Now, if you're still paying a mortgage or rent, you might be at 120000 with the lifestyle we're living. So I, I kind of look at the spending that we've had the last couple of years. And you almost have to double it to account for the equivalent lifestyle if you didn't have those certain quote-unquote cheats from having paid off house and no more student loans and all that kind of thing. That's interesting that you put it that way. It's cheats. I don't think it is. I think that was just appropriate planning to right. actually conquer your, your and crush your student debt to pay off the house. Now, some people might push back and say, like, why would you pay off the house at historic rates and da 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 da? I actually look at it as like, you've got equities and you've got bonds. I think, you know, at least some portion, at least I, I'll speak for myself because I'm not giving advice on air, but I can speak for myself. Right. I personally would rather not own bonds and I'd rather pay off the house quicker. 
Because I look at it as like, let's say it's 5%. I've got to earn 6.5% out on the market in order to cover the tax. And da, da, da. So yeah, I yeah, your loans are a negative bond, essentially. And so by exactly. paying off your loans, you are putting money towards a bond allocation in a roundabout way. Yeah, so I don't think it's cheating at all. I think it's just appropriate planning. But most people in their early 40s couldn't have done that or okay. haven't done that. Or they're just now catching on and saying, hmm, I wonder if this is still achievable. I personally think it is. What do you think? If they've kind of been an ostrich, head in the sand, wake up five years after training, so something that they're like, uh-oh, we've got a spending problem. I don't think there's any way we could do this. I'm not going to listen. You've got to figure out where the money's going and decide what your priorities are. And uh, you know, a lot of people, their priorities change, right? Like when you first finish training, you probably love your job and you know you, you want to be there uh, and you get really excited about uh, the interesting cases that come your way, all that kind of stuff. You get excited about the paychecks coming in because that's new things you can have and money you've never seen you know, before. But maybe five years later, you start to get into a bit of a rut or maybe uh, you know, administration changes over. Maybe your group gets bought out. Maybe you have to find a different job for whatever reason. Five years after that, you have a family. You've got kids growing up fast and you're not there half the time for dinner until... What matters to you tends to change every few years. And so I do encourage, no matter at what age you are, if you realize that financial independence is a worthy goal, look at what you can do to increase your savings rate, either through increased income or decreased spending, and just widen that gap as much as you can. Yeah, that's good advice there. So if we're going to talk about savings rate and prioritizing maybe savings, investing, um, looking at tax efficiency, like, is there a difference of how you are personally planning for fat fire, taking kind of those things into account? Yeah. Well, one thing that I've done, and I do have a pretty generous income as an anesthesiologist in the Midwest, but max out all available retirement accounts. I like tax deferred investments. They're not quite as advantageous now with the recent tax cut and jobs act, but still, still pretty good if you're in those upper brackets. And once everything has been filled, that includes for me a 401k, a 457b, and an HSA. I do the backdoor Roth. That's another 6000 in 2019. And then I put the rest in a taxable brokerage account. And so that's just after-tax money, buying mutual funds. And that ended up being the slight majority of our investments. And that money is available anytime. It's like a bank account, except you'll pay capital gains on any uh, increase in cost basis if you sell. But that's a, an account you can just really easily rely on from before 59 and a half until you're at an age where you can very easily tap every other account available to you. Not that there aren't different ways to get at those other accounts, but I think a taxable account is a big piece of the puzzle for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's very easily accessible, as I mentioned and number two, if you're saving enough to have the fat fire lifestyle later on, you're going to put away that forty-three dollars or $55,000 and still have money left to invest. Mm. It's got to go somewhere. Yeah. Part of me wants to ask you if you bought any whole life recently or did anything like that, but we, we know the answer <laughs> know better. And, and it's a joke, but that does bring up a, an interesting play, I think, from an insurance standpoint. I'm assuming, and I probably shouldn't do this, but like you have eh. or had disability and you probably have or had term at some point. Do you still have those? I should say, did you get those? Not to put you on the spot, but and then do you had, still have them? I got term life insurance and disability through own you know, through an agent. 
And I was very happy to have them when I did. And I dropped them three or four years ago when I realized they were redundant in my financial plan because if I were to become incapacitated or dead, that my family would be taken care of based on our net worth at this point. So they're there to replace your income or replace your you know savings that you don't have. Once you have the savings and you can live without your income, then you don't need to, you know, I, I save like almost $4,000 a year when I drop those 90% of that being the disability policy mm-hmm. dues. Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense. I was assuming you had these in place and had dropped them. And so I'm, I'm happy that went that direction. I was hoping that part of me was like, oh God, I hope he did actually have those. at one Yeah, point. right. And I, I mean, I wasn't always the best. Don't love spending money. So when you're spending money on something that you hope to never actually use, it's, it's a little bit tough. So yeah. I was probably under, oh, I know I was underinsured. I had a million dollar 10 year term policy. You were underinsured. Meant to, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I never bought whole life, never uh, succumbed to that pitch. I, I I knew just enough to not do anything too stupid yeah. when I was coming out of training. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, those are good things. But the point I, I'm happy to make here with you is you did the right things. You had these things set up. And then once you achieved your goals and you didn't need it, then you got rid of them. And most people think like, I'm buying this and I'm keeping it forever because I need it forever. And the truth is you're likely at your most vulnerable point when you're younger, you have a ton of income potential, but no or negative net worth and you need this coverage. But then when you get to the point that you hit a a few years ago, you look at and say, it's redundant. I don't need this. And now I can save $4,000 in premium, which is amazing. Yeah, And that can go to kids' college funds and, you know, whatever you want it to go to. So yeah, and that's, you know, that's after tax money that you spend on those. So that's like getting a $7,000 raise, you Mm -hmm. know, at the marginal tax uh, rates that that I pay. Yeah, it's a pretty big deal. And obviously, the less money you need to be considered financially independent, well, the sooner you can drop those and the less money you really actually need in coverage for both. Even though, like I said, I was a bit underinsured. But yeah, I think I think my wife could have done all right with a million plus whatever we had saved uh, if I had somehow died in a horrific curling accident, uh, you know, somewhere along the way. I always love the curling jokes. It's like my favorite thing to watch on the Olympics, by the way, which I've never played <laughs> it. It just looks fascinating. And then I'm always yeah. thinking like the guys that do this, like, do they just practice like sweeping the house? Like, I don't know, <laughs> like, I don't know, like how you, how you get good at curling unless you live where you live and then you can do it all the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the gold medal team, they're uh, Duluth, Minnesota based and uh, they've been to our curling club actually recently. And yeah, we had our uh, playoffs last night. We finished second in our pool of uh, eight, well, no, maybe 12 or 14 teams. First in the regular season, second in the playoffs. Anyway, you don't care about that. Let's talk money. I, I, I care about everything. I love <laughs> it. So we've talked about the expense side of stuff. I appreciate that. But I think there's the other side of, of this is that we could look at the income side. Is it achievable to hit fat fire without creating some type of passive income source or secondary income source? Or is it really about, you know, not necessarily being frugal, but living within the confines of just what your normal, let's say, W-2 job would be? Yeah, for most physicians, you know, your best source of income is is going to be physician work, right? I mean, you can make $100 to $200 an hour working as a doctor and sometimes more. And so it's tough to develop a side gig that pays that well or better. So, yeah, it certainly can be done on 
any physician income, certainly, because the even the lowest paid physicians make eh, about three times the average household income in this country. We do get a late start, obviously. We have the, the debts that not everyone has, but it all comes down to saving rate. It really does. If you can live on, let's say, half your take-home pay, you're financially independent going from broke to not having to work if you don't want to in about 15 years. And that you know depends on some reasonable assumptions. It really depends on where you live, how you practice. Like you said, you can work on the income side. You know, if you're in a low-paying specialty in a, in a relatively low-paying job, you know, I know an internist who made nine hundred thousand a year. He, he started these different doctor jobs. They were side hustles, but they were doctor jobs. He works with hospice. He works with nursing homes. He did some concierge stuff and went into practice on his own. You know, made double what I ever made. The same thing, you know, with, you know, hospitalists. I know some of them making 500000 or more a year with three years of internal medicine training. And so, you, you know, you sometimes have to change what you're supposed to be doing. You know, the job that you have may not be the job that's going to get you to where you want to be in terms of goals. So uh, sometimes it takes a little thinking outside the box. And those side gigs probably should be leveraging your physician knowledge, if not be a physician-based job. It's one of those things though that I, I read, I don't necessarily hear them, but I read it based on some of the other physician bloggers out there that, you know, they see necessarily you or, or Jim be successful. And of course, Peter, you guys are all yeah. very successful with the white coat. That's income MD. Yep. yep. Network. And so they think, well, I got to start a blog or I've got to do something that everyone else is now it feels like there's hundreds of you guys now, but like this is the way <laughs> that it, this is the way that I'm gonna achieve financial independence because they see you do it. But I like that you're relaying back to being a physician. Like that's where it is. I have a client, he's super entrepreneurial. He's like the corner. He, he works in the ER and he's got another tele gig if he, if you want to call it that um, yeah. for telemedicine, but it's all relating to be a doctor. And he's doubled his like ER income by doing a bunch of extra stuff. And yeah. it wasn't by starting a blog or a podcast or something. It was through that. So I appreciate you, you stating that. The person I was referring to is a blogger, but he doesn't make hardly any money on the blog. It's uh, Doc Green from DiverseFI.com. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. yeah he, he does He does great work. He is a great writer, but he took his $120,000 you know, primary care clinic income and darn near 10x it. 8x maybe. Yeah. Crazy. Nice. Well, we'll, yeah. we'll get some foreshadowing here. He's going to be on the show next month. So Perfect. I love that uh, we've already teased out something we didn't even know. Can't wait to, <laughs> I can't wait to talk with them now. Nice. So I could see, I'd think of my wife when I say this, but I could see some pediatricians kind of shaking their head and be like, fat fire, that doesn't exist maybe for our field or our specialty. What do you say? Do you have to be a high pain specialty and anesthesiologist to get this accomplished or what do you think? Yeah. I guess we kind of have to define what fat fire is. And I, like I said, I think it's an above average level of spending. Physicians have an above average income. And therefore, if you can save even, let's say, a third of what you take home, you'll reach it in 20, 25 years. And now if you're making, let's say, 200000 a year with the tax rates we have now, you're probably not paying much more than fifty, sixty thousand a year in taxes. So you've got 140, 150,000 left over. You could spend 100,000 still. That's pretty good. I think that qualifies as fat fire. And then in 20, 25 years, you'll be financially independent based on that level of spending, which will have increased with inflation. 
and that qualifies. So yeah, totally doable. And then if you have help from a spouse, you know, I'm a one income family here. My wife has stayed home to raise our boys. There's another source of income. Then, you know, if you can live on one income, save the other, it just get you there quicker. Yeah. I actually think that's correct. And last time we did talk about geographic arbitrage and, and what you could do there. And I encourage uh-huh. you guys to go back and listen to that because that was a really good, you made a lot of really good points. And I think that it's even more important if you are in a lower paying specialty and maybe you are a single income household, like that decision might mean a whole lot more for you than say you're, you're both anesthesiologists, right? Right. Yep. And that's basically living in lower cost of living areas, which tend to command higher salaries in medicine. And that's pretty exclusive to medicine and finance and law and a lot of other fields. Mm-hmm. The big cities tend to have the higher incomes and it's exactly the opposite in general on average. Yeah. There's always things that you might be able to find a, a one-off type gig or if you're right. boarded in pain, like maybe you're in a higher demand in one area than another and or something, but yeah. in general, yeah, I, I agree. You're, you're correct on that. Well, for like the four people who have no idea who you are, where can they find you? Tell us a little bit about what you're doing it. And more importantly, like what's coming up in 2019? Like what are we going to hear from you on? Yeah. So I do have a website, physicianonfire.com. It's easier to find if you type in pofire.com. That'll take you right there. I'm on Twitter at physicianonfire, Instagram, same Facebook, same And 2019 is shaping up to be an exciting year for our family. We are going to be taking what I'm calling a sabbatical, possibly likely permanent, (laughs) starting in the late summer, early fall. And we've, gosh, we hired my replacement over a year ago. And so he's finishing residency in the end of June and we'll be coming up. And once he's trained up and ready to go, I will take flight and do my own thing. So I'll continue to write on the blog. And I think it's important to continue the conversation through that transition and into the post-retirement life. Although I've, I've said I'll be retired, not retired, because as we mentioned, this isn't a passive income kind of deal. I do spend a lot of time mm-hmm. uh, communicating with people through all the different social media channels I talked about, email, and of course, writing articles and preparing them to be published several times a week, as I do on the website. But yeah, I'll be footloose, fancy free, and able to uh, travel the world and be at least location independent, which is exciting. No more pager. Look at you. No more pager. No more pager. You're excited. I love it. Footloose and fancy free. (laughs) I don't have anything to choose you with. That's like the third time I've done this to a guest. They've had something. I'm like, I am a horrible person. I don't have anything to choose you with. But you know, thank you for being on the show. I look forward to your Sunday best. That's kind of where I, I get my... POF fix. But I also get to see some of the cool stuff that's out on the web. So he puts out a weekly, I actually get it through email and I see it on Twitter. But you know, I like I like what you're doing. And obviously a lot of people do. So keep up the great work and thank you so much for being on the show. It's an honor to have you here. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Always is good to chat with you. In our journal club, we're going to be discussing an article that was posted on the site mappedoutmoney.com titled, Stop Pretending That Money Is Easy. It's Just Not. The author is none other than Nick True, who was on the show a few months ago talking about the science behind positive financial habits. That was one of our most popular shows, so go back and check it out if you haven't had a listen to it yet. I have to say, this is one of the more thought-provoking articles that 
honestly really hit home for me is I try to help guide all of you on your financial journey. And I'm going to quote a bunch of this article as I, I really do love this and it really got me thinking and I don't want to ruin his message by paraphrasing it too much. So I'm going to quote, some people are naturally good at handling money. They just get it. Numbers make sense to them. They aren't tempted to spend too much. They naturally save, etc. To them, money is just easy. Then there's everyone else. The people who have the ability to learn how to handle money, but they just naturally aren't good at it. And that's not bad in, in and of itself or naturally good and bad at different things. But the problem is, is that people who teach about money want to act like it's all super easy. Well, if it's so easy, then why is half the country not able to afford a $400 emergency? Or why is the average household credit card debt $5,800? Obviously, it's not that easy and we need to stop pretending it is. Knowing how to manage money isn't too hard. Basically, it's just two main principles. Save more money than you spend. Invest so your money starts to make money. It's not that hard to say and it isn't that hard to understand. But actually doing this is extremely difficult. It's the same reason that you know how to lose weight and actually losing weight are two completely different things. Losing weight has two principles as well. Eat fewer calories than you burn. Work out to burn more calories. That seems so simple, yet the obesity rate in America has more than doubled in the past 35 years. We all know how to pay off debt. Nobody out there feels like they're given this magic bullet when some financial guru tells them to spend less than they make and then use the extra cash to pay off their debt. But actually following through with this is really hard. Saving money is tough. And this one goes hand in hand with debt, but it's a little bit different. After you get out of debt, the next logical step is to start building up some savings. But this is much harder than it seems. There's always something vying for our cash. Money is emotional, and oftentimes our emotions win, which means that most of us don't end up saving as much as we like. If you're able to get out of debt and start saving, the next logical step is to start investing. Luckily, we live in the age of the internet and investing has become way easier for the average Joe than it was 20 years ago. But even still, it seems overwhelming. You've never learned any of this stuff before. How should you know how much to invest or what to invest in? And Nick's conclusion is that pretending money is easy only makes things harder. When we think that something's supposed to be easy and then we struggle with it, we just want to stop trying. And he gave a great example of a math teacher saying, today class, we're going to cover this new topic. Don't worry, it's going to be super easy. Then he proceeded to show you the most complicated thing you've ever seen. And guess what? Now you feel like a complete idiot. There's no way you're ever going to raise your hand and ask a question because it's supposed to be super easy. If you ask questions, everyone's going to know that you're stupid. And it's the same way with money. And we get told money is easy. Just spend less than you make and save the rest. Well, okay, but what if that's hard? Then what? We don't want to talk about money with other people because then they think that maybe you're not that good with it. And that must mean you're quote unquote stupid. So we just don't say anything and we keep living in our lives pretending that we've all got it together. And Nick goes on to make a few more excellent points, but I'm going to stop here. Be, there's so much truth to this article and really got me thinking. And, and I'm really hoping that I haven't let all of you down. I hope that I've been able to show you that while things may look hard on the surface, 
that with some thought and time and dedication, you too can start to master your own finances. I sincerely hope that I'm not causing you any of you to feel quote unquote stupid because I'm honestly, I'm hoping the exact opposite that by listening to the show that you can feel empowered over your finances and that you're able to gain the confidence that you can do this, that you can take back your freedom. You can break the shackles of debt and really build a strong foundation that will support you for the rest of your life. I'd really love to know your thoughts on this. So please join our Facebook community at financialresidency.com slash community and come talk to us. Let's break down the communication barrier. Let's open up and yeah, maybe we get a little bit vulnerable, but let's put our best foot forward and really try to help each other out. Nick, thank you so much for this thought provoking piece. I'll link to it in the show notes. And for all of you that have been following or haven't followed Nick yet, please go subscribe to his list. You're really missing out. I love the content Nick's producing and it's some of the most amazing thought provoking content that's out there. And I almost feel like it needs to be required reading for all of you. It's fantastic. So go check it out at mappedoutmoney.com. What a great episode. I hope you all enjoyed the journal club as well as the interview with physician on fire. It's always a pleasure to talk with him, and I hope you guys were able to take away at least one idea that will help you better your financial life. In this episode, he went through the variations of fire, emphasizing fat fire, of course, which he defined as an above average spending. Here's a short recap and a few things to think about. Physician on Fire said he knows that most physicians have way above average spending, and if you want to achieve financial independence, you're probably going to want to spend less than the average physician. But that being said, starting to track your family budget really is just a pretty smart thing to do. He started blogging to prove himself and to his readers that he was truly financial independent and also to be able to really pinpoint exactly where his money was going because he, at that point, didn't honestly know. He knew that he had credit card bills each month. He knew what his big bills were, minus out his mortgage, and he realized he was probably pushing six figures on the expense side. He said that as long as you got a nest egg or the cash flow to support the lifestyle you're living, you can claim financial independence and therefore you can retire early if you choose. You've got to figure out where the money is going though and decide what those priorities are. And no matter what age you are, to realize that financial independence is a worthy goal. He says to look at what you can do to increase your savings rate, either through increased income or decreased spending and just widen the gap as much as you possibly can. Maybe you're spending 40 or 50 or 60,000 a year like the average American household. That would require about 25 or maybe 30 times if you want to be conservative, your annual spending saved up in an investment account that you'll really be living from, uh, you know, and for retirement. You can also do it with passive income. And if you're not a successful blogger like he is, How do you ensure that you and your family will actually be able to be financially independent and that it'll be safe? Well, one of the ways, and we've talked a lot on various passive income strategies, is I highly actually recommend all of you to go back and listen to two shows. One is The Ultimate Guide to Multifamily Investing with Veena Jetty. Excellent show discussing all about multifamily, as you would assume. And the other one was 16 different ways to invest in real estate with Dr. Peter Kim. 
Those are amazing shows that talk all about passive income. Highly recommend to go check those out. For a quick community update, I'm still looking for a few great candidates to complete a financial plan on air. Of course, it'll be an abridged version of the plans I put together for clients at Physician Well Services, but it will be an action-packed and honestly should provide some really great value. I'm looking for a resident and a new-ish attending to come talk through a plan for free with me. We've had lots of great questions in the Facebook community as well as some called in via voicemail, but I'm wanting to take it a step further with this on-air plan, anonymously of course. And speaking of taking it to the next level, my newest show, Money Care Specialist, has launched and is being actually really well received with quite a bit of downloads. If you haven't checked it out, go search in the podcast player that you're listening to me right now in and go check it out and subscribe. We're doing financial health assessments for healthcare professionals in under 30 minutes. This podcast is like a marriage. You get out of it what you put in. So if you show up and put in the time to learn about the financial topics most affecting you, you're more than likely to grow in your financial savviness. But here's the thing. What you hear in the show is to be taken more on the generic stride. It's a blanket adaptation of different financial topics affecting physician families. I can't guarantee any specific advice because I don't know who you are or what financial challenges you may be facing. I'd recommend consulting an attorney, CPA, or me, a fee-only financial planner to help you with your questions. I hope you enjoyed Physician on Fire on the show. Next week, we have a great show planned with our special guest from Popcorn Finance, Chris Browning. If the show brought you value, make sure you share it with other physicians or their spouses to help increase their financial acumen and help them take control over their financial future. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Cheers.